Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 33, titled Jesus Heals Two Men with Demons. Today is a colorful topic to say the least. Obviously it covers demon possession, and I almost skipped this topic because so many questions stem from it and it's difficult, but obviously if it's in the Bible, then that means that there's information in there that we need. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 34 says, And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going to the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Well, that sure is a warm welcome and a nice gesture of appreciation for just healing two people. There's no telling how long those two men were demon-possessed, provoking and terrorizing the locals, and Jesus comes by and heals them, and he's met with, thanks but no thanks, get out of here. That's too bad. One of the first things that I noticed when I read that was the possessed men saying to Jesus, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Here the demons recognize their coming fate in the future, to me, this is a perfect time to talk about what evil actually is in relationship to sin. Because they're torturing men knowing that their time is coming. So that, that's an indicator into what evil really is. So let's kind of peel sin and evil apart. And it might get a little philosophical here, but bear with me. I don't think you'll regret it. I think it's good information. So let's talk about sin first. We must remember the Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew. So when we look at the word sin and the English definition in relation to, relationship to that, we need to understand that before there was an English Bible, there was the original Bible in Greek and Hebrew, and it has a different word. So that's why we need to visit the original manuscripts from time to time to make sure we fully understand everything. And today is going to be one of those days. So the original Greek biblical word for sin is hamartia. And hamartia is an archery term that means to miss the mark. Now, there are many ways that we can miss the mark or sin. Some examples are not aiming at a target, so just aimlessness. It could be poor aim from not practicing righteousness due to being either a new believer, a new person of faith, or complacency and no, no practice towards righteousness, right? That could be a thing. Aiming at the wrong target entirely. Or it could be just straight-up rebellion. Lots of ways we can do that, right? So, and we need to understand that sin is anything other than perfection. And that's why we need to remain humble, because I think, personally, we are far more sinful than we all realize. And if you study the story of Job, his sin wasn't that he lacked righteousness, even though his friends criticized him for saying that, well, the reason you're suffering is because you're wicked. Obviously, you've been sinning. How have you been sinning? And Job actually wasn't sinning. He was turning away from sin, and he was living upright and righteous life. But he did have a sin. 
and between the conversations between Elisha and Job and then Job and God, what you'll find out in the story of Job is that his sin was actually lacking understanding. That's kind of terrifying to come to understand that it's a sin to be ignorant. So now that we understand that ignorance is a sin, hopefully that will drive humility and constant repentance and urge us to utilize grace properly through demonstrating faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because that's our only hope. Having faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and learning how to abide in His love is really our only hope for salvation, so we should definitely make that a focus, right? Let's talk about evil and and malevolence now, but we have to pull the definition of malevolence apart to fully understand what evil is. So there's two definitions for the word malevolent. The first definition is having, showing, or arising from an intense, often vicious ill will, spite, or hatred. Definition number two, the production of harm or evil. So before we assume all malevolent is bad, all malevolence is bad, let's play with some ideas. And I know that sounds crazy, like, wait a second, you're going to tell me that there's a, a type of malevolence that isn't bad? Just, just bear with me. Remember, words are abstractions of ideas. So when we're looking into definitions, we're playing with ideas and comparing it to Scripture. So bear with me. Regarding definition number one, does God have a vicious ill will towards sin, wickedness, and lawlessness? The answer to that is yes. Now the question is, can God sin? And the answer to that is no. So knowing that God can't sin, it lets us know that it's in fact not a sin for us to have a vicious ill will towards the same things that God has a vicious ill will towards. And so the point I'm making is that this ties into the Meek Prouse podcast perfectly. And it's representative of a potency of character through integration. And we'll talk about that. So go listen to the Meek Prowse, excuse me, Meek Prowse podcast if you haven't yet. And this information will make complete sense when you correlate the two. So regarding the second definition, does God ever intentionally produce evil? The answer to that is no. So the way we separate the first definition and the second definition of malevolent I've never heard this done before until Jordan Peterson separated the ideas and taught about them. So if you're interested in listening to him, I think it's um, just YouTube or Google Jordan Peterson Integrated Malevolence. And so he separates it by integrated versus disintegrated malevolence. And the comparison would be, let's use alcohol, for example. If you drink alcohol and you have control of the alcohol, it's not a problem. But if you drink alcohol and alcohol has control of you, then there's a problem. So as long as we have our hands on malevolence rather than malevolence having our hands, excuse me, its hands on us as its puppet, then that's fine, right? So shy away from definition two, but there's a way to integrate definition number one. Let's keep going though. So healthy biblical malevolence, let's say, would be hating sin, but loving the sinner. And that means to to hate the sin in their life, but to urge them towards goodness and repentance. So, th- but we shouldn't have a vicious ill will towards them. We, If we have a vicious ill will towards sin, it should also be towards a sin in our own life. 
So we should have a a hatred for the sin that's in our life, but we shouldn't have an ill will towards us as individuals or others as individuals. So do you see the difference? Hate the sin, love the sinner. So that, that is what it means to have integrated malevolence. Love the sin, or excuse me, love the sinner, hate the sin. By dictionary definition, that's called integrated malevolence. Okay? And I know it's a weird concept, and if you don't like that wording, then call it integrated aggression. So, integrated aggression, aggression has usefulness, right? The first definition of malevolence has usefulness, whereas the second does not. So think about it from the standpoint of someone trying to break into your home, murder your family, and you're, you've got an option. You can grab the holy water or grab a pistol. Well, if someone's, try, someone's trying to break into my home, murder my family, they've got a weapon in their hand and I can see them on my surveillance system, then I'm grabbing my pistol and I'm going to have integrated malevolence and I'm also going to have integrated aggression, Right? Now, if there's a demon, a demonic encounter, sure, yeah, I'm going to grab the holy water over the pistol. However, you need to know what situation to integrate what kind of attitude. So I can take holy water, let's say, and faith into a spiritual battle, or I can take a pistol and malevolence with me in the face of fleshly battles against evil. Does that make sense? It should make sense. So... That's how we have to peel these ideas apart. And the reason I bring these kind of things up is because there's so many people who, being a Christian, have the fruits of the Spirit, have the fruits of the Spirit. It's like, well, Jesus didn't have the fruits of the Spirit when he, was, when he made a whip of cords and literally whipped people out of the temple, right? That would be integrated aggression, a vicious ill will towards sin and iniquity. It was demonstrated, and God can't sin. So there's a time and a place for the fruits of the Spirit. If you're around a bunch of people who are, I love Jesus... And let's obey the Bible the best way we can. Well, sure, it's easy to have the fruits of the Spirit. And that's the time and the place for the fruits of the Spirit. But Paul also says in Scripture, when when you're around, this would be for the people who, maybe the hypocrites, let's call them, the Christian hypocrites, just as Jesus verbally asserted himself on the hypocrites, right? There may be a time and a place to utilize integrated aggression, even with speech, because Paul says, and I can't remember, is this, we demolish arguments and take thoughts captive. So he says, we, we demolish arguments and all knowledge raised against God or Christ, and we take captive every thought to be obedient to Christ, and we are prepared to punish disobedience, or and you, you'll be prepared to punish disobedience when your obedience is complete. So, you know, everybody reads the warm and fuzzy stuff because it feels good, but they don't talk about, you know, the constant rebuke, the constant, hey, you're not honoring and glorifying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ right now. They leave the whole rebuke and reproof problem out, which would be integrated aggression. Now, there's there's gentle reproof, and then there's harsh criticism, of course, but the point is you have to have integrated aggression under certain circumstances. If you're up against people who are blaspheming and violating scripture, like the false gospel is, you have to be prepared to conduct a verbal assault and defend God and defend scripture. So it's not, we, we don't just need to sit back and believe. We are commissioning for the Lord's army and we are in a spiritual battle to fight against evil. 
right? So all of these tools that we're talking about, integrated aggression and the difference between sin and evil and how we are to fight them and situations to use holy water and situations to use a firearm, this requires sophistication. You have to integrate all these ideas based on the situation. And it may seem self-evident, but the conversations that I have with people, it isn't. It's, it's, it's just not my experience. And I think, I personally think the false prosperity gospel and the people who have sissified Jesus, that's Vody Bauckham's teaching, by the way, they've weakened Christianity and they've weakened Christians. And if you look at the early church and how much they had persecution they had to go through, well, that strengthens you. Hard times create strong people. Strong people create easy times. Easy times create weak people, and weak people create hard times, and then hard times create strong people. So it's a bit of a cycle, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, because in some sense, victory shouldn't defeat us as Christians. We should be able to fight the good fight on a daily basis, fight against evil, to fight against those who are intentionally producing suffering and prepared to launch an attack against the enemy, even if it's just defense of the Bible, right? If there are people who are blaspheming scripture, as Christians, we need to put those people in check with the quickness. So let's go back to the demons and evil stuff, and then we'll, we'll finish out today. The following information was taken from David Guzik's commentary. These demons also knew of both their immediate destiny to be cast out and their ultimate destiny to suffer everlasting torment. They wanted the freedom to do as much damage as they could before the time of the destiny of their torment. They also understood that they had a limited time and therefore they worked as hard as they could up until they could not work anymore. So to me, that, that commentary captures exactly what evil truly is. It, it's conscious. So it knows what it's doing. It's intentional. It's not some accident, right? It's not, I'm, I'm stupid and I made a mistake and hurt your feelings. It's like, no, I know how to hurt you and I'm going to hurt you. And I'm going to hurt you just as long as I possibly can out of gratification for that. That's, that's evil. Evil is to intentionally produce meaningless suffering. Now, there, are, there is suffering that's good for us, right? There is meaningful suffering, fasting and working out, and diligent prayer, and setting goals. All of those things are the adoption of responsibility, and it helps us practice spiritual fitness. But it's, it's the evil people who intentionally produce meaningless suffering. So, let's bring today to a close. Sin and evil must be separated fully, right? And also, the first and second definition of malevolence must be separated. There's a difference between integrated aggression or an integrated ill will versus the desire to produce evil. Okay, so we have to pull these ideas apart to make sure we're understanding them. Sin is to miss the mark, which is anything less than perfection. Evil can be organized, or I should say, evil is categorized by its lack of necessity and its voluntarism to produce meaningless suffering, just for the sake of chaos, disorder, and it's all intentional. So, it's not a sin, this is the fourth summary, two more, it's not a sin to have a vicious ill will towards the same thing that God does. But remember, love the sinner, which means to urge them towards goodness and repentance, but hate the sin, because we know the wages of sin is death. That's why we hate sin, because the wages of sin is death, and our goal as Christians should be to salvage souls. 
Last summary, number five. These demons knew of both their immediate destiny and their ultimate destiny to be cast into everlasting torment, and they choose, they chose to produce suffering and chaos and disorder, even knowing their coming fate. Just a like refusal to repent and aim towards anything good. That's what evil is. That's all we have for today, everyone. I hope you guys have a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.